This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Life is a good teacher and a good friend. Things are always in transition, if we could only realize it. Nothing ever sums itself up in the way that we like to dream about. The off-center, in-between state is an ideal situation. A situation in which we don't get caught and we can open our hearts and minds beyond limit. Life's work is to wake up, to let the things that enter into the circle wake you up rather than put you to sleep. The only way to do this is to open, be curious, and develop some sense of sympathy for everything that comes along. To get to know its nature and let it teach you what it will. It's going to stick around until you learn your lesson, at any rate. Pema Children. Valeria interviews Ali Vaknin. She serves as a registered mental health counselor intern in Orlando, Florida, working primarily with adolescents and adults who suffer from anxiety, depression, trauma, identity issues, and relationship difficulties. Allie graduated from Columbia University with a master's in mental health counseling, and prior to that, received degrees in human communication and sociology with a minor in leadership studies from the University of Central Florida. A majority of her clinical experience has focused on serving individuals from marginalized and underserved communities across the country, including Miami, Orlando, near Los Angeles, and New York City. As the daughter of immigrants, a Colombian mother and Israeli father, her multicultural background and diverse clinical experiences have been an asset when working with issues of identity and complex trauma. Her approach focuses on helping clients develop self-understanding and learn practical skills. She believes education is a form of empowerment, so she frequently infuses opportunities for clients to learn about psychological concepts that can help them understand their own experience. She also incorporates mindfulness and self-compassion techniques, which help clients become more present and less harsh on themselves. Overall, her style of counseling can be described as supportive, empowering, insightful, collaborative, and oftentimes funny. She genuinely loves her job, and she's grateful for each opportunity to cross paths with and support a fellow human being. Meet Allie at wildheartscounseling.org. Here's the interview with Allie Vagnon. In your own words, who is Ellie Vecnin? That is a great question. Um, and it is a hard one to answer depending on how you, I guess, how someone would define themselves. Um, the only thing that really comes to mind is I am a person 
um, at the most basic sense, just because I, I try to think of how I would define myself in terms of like, I mean, I guess I could define myself in terms of my identities or my life experiences, my titles. Um, but all of those put together uh, doesn't seem to fully, well, I guess if you put all of them together, it could describe who I am, but it would take a while to go through all of those. Um, so I'm going to go with I'm a person. So I'm wondering if when you say I am a person, that also includes the spiritual being that you are or the spirit being that you are. Yes. Um, and I think that that's a very great point to make because when we reference our identities or our titles or where we come from, uh, those are all a part of the ego. So it doesn't feel sufficient to say that I am those things if I am greater than that. Um, if I am that awareness that holds the ego, it would be more accurate than to say that I am that awareness. Um, so, so perhaps saying that I'm a person can include both the awareness and the ego within it. Yes, which is a, it's the wholeness, this whole approach mm -hmm. to who we are in life itself. I love that. Yes, a billion times to that exactly. answer. Exactly. <laughs> Includes everything. Another question. Yeah, how did you come to this understanding? It's a very profound one. Um, meditation has helped a lot in becoming or learning to become detached from my ego. Um, and just over the course of my life, I've been uh, practicing introspection, self-reflection. I've, I've um, also self-awareness. So I think just in the process of being self-reflective and turning inwards throughout my life, in addition to practicing meditation, uh, you begin to observe your inner world um, from a more detached place and you become more curious uh, and, and you begin to see that there is this like background to the foreground of your ego or your internal experience. Um, and so it's from cultivating that practice and just continuously practicing that self-awareness and, and reflection that you, you get that, um, I think, more holistic perspective. And what led you to these practices of meditation, self-awareness, reflection? Ooh, um, I want to say sadness, um, and, and which is very much on point with our topic today. But um, I remember I went through a period of depression when I was in high school, and I ended up learning about Buddhism. I think it was in my world history class. And when I learned about it, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best. Like, this is so on point in terms of um, just the, the principles and the philosophy that I had been learning about. And so when I ended up buying a book on it and learned more about it and learned about meditation was when I um, really began practicing meditation and mindfulness. But it was really from a place of feeling very sad and depressed that I found myself very drawn to um, this philosophy or mm. Buddhist philosophy and those practices. Sadness, do you consider it to be pain or suffering? 
It's funny that you ask that because my a mentor of mine um, said a quote on this recently, and and I and I'm not sure if it was a quote by him or it might just be a standard quote, but it was like, um, suffering or like pain, pain happens, but suffering is an option or something like that. Um, so I would say then in, within the context of your question, that sadness you could see as, as pain or as just a a natural human emotion, but whether we create it into further suffering is, is a matter of, um, I guess just attachment or, our unconscious choice to mm. like, um, what is it? Uh, like fuel the sadness and, and linger in it. Right. So, so that is a very good question. Mm, yeah. And that's a very good answer too. <laughs> so sadness being actually pain, it can turn into suffering. Do you also believe the sadness can easily turn into depression? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I would say that Sadness can definitely be pain, but when you really, I guess, examine sadness or really any kind of emotion, I would say that there's no um, inherent positive or negative to them. I would say, right, that they're just like emotions. Um, but because we, but because sadness, let's say, doesn't feel good, we associate it as bad. And so we can, we can slip into periods of sadness, but then um, based off of say, you know, uh, unconscious beliefs that we might have a particularly rough period that we're going through, um, that sadness can can transform into a deeper sadness and, and become depression. I know it's, it sounds very sad even when we talk about these things, when I remember about these things, going through those experiences. But sometimes it seems to me like it's almost like the more we lean toward our own suffering, pain and suffering, the more we are likely to make huge breakthroughs, like these enormous um, insights, just be open to insights and and grow and evolve. It seems to me, although I do ask the question here a lot about, does it always take suffering and pain to really, you know, realize some truth, deeper truth and find happiness and peace? I would ask you the same question, Ali. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to ask you that question. I'd, I'd be curious to hear your response. From my experience, unfortunately, it has been the case, suffering pain. And it still is, actually, I have to say. Hmm. Yeah, it still mm-hmm. is. Although I, I do know people who choose the path of insight, of knowledge and they just become these amazing human beings with so much wisdom from uncovering wisdom, like ancient wisdom, spiritual knowledge, which I am very much in touch with that too. But it's still, it seems like the path that I'm on, suffering is still part of it and pain. Yes. So I would love to hear your answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would definitely agree. I think that um, suffering is a very rich ground for breakthrough and transformation and insight. And, and it has been likewise in my own experience during those periods of, um, intense suffering that I've come to some of the most profound, um, transformations and insights about myself. So, um, but I, I likewise agree that 
you can obtain these insights in, in other ways as well through studying, through um, through learning from these, you know, ancient traditions, learning from dis- different disciplines, um, as well as just through practicing mindfulness and meditation, you can access this inner wisdom that comes from just practicing to um, observe oneself and, and create that distance between awareness and ego. So, so yes, uh, while you can, I think, access them or those insights and transformations through those methods, I think that suffering uh, is one that we are all guaranteed to go through. And it is one of the most surefire ways, I think, to, uh, to access those hidden gems. In my life now, or whatever I call life, the suffering has been almost diminished or stopped because of the practices, the spiritual practice that I engage in. So it has helped a lot. The path of knowledge, spiritual knowledge and deeper understanding of self and life. And then now uh, the pain um, that happens physical or in relationships, family, then it becomes much more, let's say, it still hurts, but it's... uh, but it's, it has been relieved in a way. So finding the peace, inner peace, kind of helps a lot because the inner peace that comes from truth, from understanding of self. You want to say something, Ali? No, that, that's amazing um, that you've been able to get to a place where, where we do still experience pain, but it's, uh, it's, it's not as, say, frequent or intense or amplified um, by more suffering. And, and, and I think it's a, a very good point to make that, you know, we are going to continue experiencing pain, uh, even when we say, um, are able to transcend, um, those higher levels of suffering or, or those additional, um, like, what is it? Um, like even if we get to the place where we no longer create more suffering for ourselves, we, we do still experience pain and, and that's not a bad thing, but it's, it's thinking that that's a bad thing that actually then creates more suffering. So, so that is a very insightful point to make. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to return to that place of inner peace. Yeah. It has been a long journey <laughs> to uh, commit to the practice of being centered, being in the nice space of, deep knowing that this is temporary. Everything, it's temporary. All the emotions we have, all the pain. So that's a, it has been a very powerful understanding of knowledge, really. So we'll talk about mental health, mindfulness, and redefine our relationship with suffering, which we have been talking about now. So I actually wanted to um, just ask you this open question about uh, this idea of redefining our relationship with suffering. Is that what we have been talking during this conversation so far, or there is more to it, Ali? Yeah, I I would say that we've pretty much already begun that conversation on redefining our relationship with suffering. Um, To add more depth to it, I would say it's um, really just by by virtue of, of its definition, like we are redefining our relationship to to pain or suffering. So whereas our normal definition often is that it's bad, that we need to get rid of it, um, that we need to push it away and, and make every attempt to escape it uh, or prevent it, um, to redefine our relationship to it in which it is, you know, 
welcome it which it is and which we're open to it and which we don't see it as a bad thing really transforms our experience of, of pain and suffering um, and and it just completely changes the game another question i have for you an open question is about mental health how do you define mental health these days oh that's a good question um I would say it is our sense of, I suppose, mental and physical, or phys mental and emotional well-being. I guess like the state of it. So if it is in a, well, that's a, a very good question though because it has me thinking. Um, you know, what defines good mental health or what defines bad mental health? Because if we're talking on the, on the, you know, topic of suffering, you might say that someone who is suffering has, is, is suffering in terms of their mental health. But if we redefine our relationship with suffering and say that suffering is not bad, then can we say that someone who is suffering is suffering from bad mental health? So that is a good question. I'm, I, I don't even know exactly how to answer that. What about mindfulness? Is mindfulness and meditation one and the same? Not exactly, but they are very much um, intertwined. So mindfulness is, um, at its most basic definition, the practice of being in the present moment in an accepting and non-judgmental way. So we are paying attention to what's going on internally and externally um, with from the lens of openness or acceptance and non-judgmentalness. And, and there are different kinds of meditation, um, but mindfulness meditation is, you can think of it as like mindfulness uh, practice, but just in a concentrated form. So in, in mindfulness meditation, we, we commit to sitting down for a certain amount of time um, and, and focus on our breath and while at the same time um, paying attention to any sensations or thoughts that could arise. And then whenever thoughts come up, you simply notice them and you let them go and you return to your breath. So meditation helps to cultivate the, the ongoing practice of mindfulness. Okay. Um, but meditation generally is, is you know, a, an allotted amount of time that you spend to, to meditate, uh, whereas mindfulness can be practiced from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. That's great to know. And I'll be asking you more questions about mindfulness that will be related to Pema Children's books. So I have some passages here that caught my attention. But before that, I'll ask you my last open question. At this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? Oh, goodness. What a great question. Um, oh, my goodness. What is the world's greatest need? The first thing that comes to mind is compassion. Um, just because from not only an internal space, but of course external in terms of giving others compassion or being compassionate towards others. 
Um, but, but it really does begin internally. If, if we have difficulty being compassionate with ourselves, it's very hard to be compassionate with others. Um, but I think that, and I see it, you know, across all of my clients and I mean, even myself and, and my friends and family, uh, we're all so harsh on ourselves. I, I know that you're, you're also familiar with how important self-compassion is. Um, so I think that the world can be, probably a lot lighter and a lot kinder if we learned to be more compassionate with ourselves, and then therefore more compassionate with others. Do you actually connect compassion to love, kindness, empathy? Are they all connected or you, you actually make some distinctions between these uh, concepts? I think that I would say that they're all connected and I'm sure that they overlap, but I imagine that there are nuances uh, to each one. And and so I would say then that compassion is its own state. Um, but but I imagine that they do very much overlap with with those other qualities as well. Um, I'd, I'd be curious, what what do you think on that one? Compassion. That has been a very interesting concept, idea, because in practice, of course, I have always believed that by being nice and kind to others, then I was doing my job in a sense of sacrificing. I was not being kind to myself, but I would do anything to be kind to others. And then I would call that compassion. And then that evolved and evolved a lot. <laughs> then, of course, I became a lot more aware that if I didn't know how to treat myself with gentleness and kindness, I would not be able to do that for anyone. I couldn't treat anyone in such a way. So that was a powerful teaching. And then the most recent has been compassion in the sense of life itself being a very compassionate experience in a sense of always showing us what we need to see if we pay attention. So even like we talked earlier about the suffering, all the hardships and the challenging experiences, it's a form of compassion to me. It's life trying to show us the truth that this is not all there is, <laughs> the human body and mind, that we are a lot more than, than this. So... Today, that's what I would say. Compassion is uh, life's suffering and it's life's compassion. It's life trying to show us through suffering and pain the truth, the light, liberation, freedom, what freedom is, really. To walk in this reality, knowing that we are not just the body, conditioned body and mind, that we are actually something that never dies. It's always here. So I guess that's what I would say, Ali. Yes. No, that was so clear and so on point. I agree a hundred percent. Um, in, in the sense where suffering shows us where we're still holding on. Yeah. Right. And, right, and you right. could think yeah. oftentimes of suffering as, um, as occurring when our models fall apart or when our expectations fall apart, or when, you know, these unconscious beliefs that we might have internalized begin to surface and, and we begin to really feel those wounds. But but really in, in that state is is where we get to see 
those how those expectations and how those models weren't holding up and how, you know, we do have these wounds that did rise to the surface and do hurt, but that they do need to be uh, taken care of and attended to. So so suffering is, like you said, just life's way of showing you um, where we're still holding on, what, what we're still attached to. And in a way, you can see that as compassion because it, it provides us that opportunity to re-examine and, and to care for ourselves. Talk to me about the inspiration to become a registered mental health counselor, also the intention of your work and your approach to healing. You focus on developing self-understanding, which you have been talking about beautifully today, and also you um, integrate mindfulness, self-compassion. But I would love to hear uh, from your own words. Sure. So I'm as as a registered mental health counselor intern. Um, I um, I work with clients in um, in a private practice setting, um, and and so yeah. Before I, I get to my approach, the um, the motivation or the inspiration to to become a counselor, um, I think you know very on point with what we've been talking about came from my own experiences, uh, suffering from anxiety and depression and. Um, and specifically when I was a kid, I, I remember I had an experience where um, I, I experienced a, a space of unconditional positive regard um, by, by a family member. And I, I really experienced what it felt like to, to really feel seen and heard. And it was just so euphoric. And, and I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. How can I give this to other people? So kind of having that as the source of inspiration, I um, ended up pursuing a, a career in counseling so that I could provide that same experience and provide that same space for others. Um, so so that's where, where that came from. In terms of my, my approach, as you said, um, I... My approach really focuses on uh, developing a deeper understanding of ourselves. Um, and so not only do we talk about, you know, what's going on, um, what is it that we're experiencing, but where is this coming from? What are the experiences in our life that have, you know, shaped uh, the manifestation of these thoughts or these feelings? Uh, what beliefs did we internalize unconsciously in our early life that is contributing to the, the manifestation of, of these symptoms? Um, so it's by developing that more profound understanding of ourselves that we can get more clarity into ourselves, and, and oftentimes that, that clarity um, sometimes is enough to, to help alleviate um, a lot of symptoms. Um, and, and other times it, when we really go through, um, severe trauma can be, we need more than, than just developing that understanding of where these things come from. Um, so that's where my, the second, uh, sort of aspect of my approach comes in. And that is focusing on, um, practical skills, coping skills, uh, practices like meditation, mindfulness, um, grounding skills. So learning how to um, regulate ourselves emotionally, uh, mentally, and physically so that we can help cope with um, whatever lingering difficulties or symptoms that emerge. 
Um, and, and I'm also really, really big on education. So I, I do take many opportunities um, to educate clients. Um, I think as we were kind of talking about earlier, that it is, you know, we are all capable of becoming our own healers. So it is so much more important for me to give clients the education and, and the tools and the framework for understanding what it is that they're going through. Um, so that way they can just have that. Um, they don't have to, you know, depend on me or anybody else to um, understand what they might be going through. They can have that framework or that understanding Um and, and refer to it themselves in order to contextualize what it is that they're going through and then, um, and, and heal themselves. So, so that, uh, I think comprises, I think a, a pretty good summary of my approach. Um, and, and more recently I've been, you know, considering the idea of, um, Something there's um I think you might be familiar with a a guy named Ram Das. He's a spiritual teacher. Oh, he's amazing. I love him. Yeah, and and he talks a lot about creating environment an environment in in your being for other people to grow. And so I've been like really marinating on what that means uh, in terms of my relationships. Um, and uh, and and I've and I think that how I've interpreted it thus far is, is the more that we are capable of doing inner work within ourselves and reaching those states, um, or maintaining those states of, of inner peace, of understanding of patience and compassion. Um, we within our being create an environment that is suitable for other people to, to grow and to heal. Um, so I've been really trying to see how I could integrate that more within my day to day, not only within my practice. Um, and, and as a disclaimer, I, I feel like I probably should say that anything that I say here does not constitute, you know, clinical or therapeutic advice. We are, we are totally just having a conversation. Um, but, but yes, that is, that is a little bit of my approach. Do you offer online remote sessions or only in person? I do. I offer virtual and in person. Um, so either way, whatever clients prefer. Right. That's wonderful to know. Let's talk about now. I know I have so many passages here from yeah. the book you sent me. So two titles from Pema Children's two books, The Wisdom of No Escape and The Path of Love and Kindness and When Things Fall Apart. So from the book, When Things Fall Apart, there's a passage that says, when you have made good friends with yourself, your situation will be more friendly too. So that resonated, of course, deeply because it goes back to the same idea, concept of self-knowledge, self-understanding that we have been talking about here. That passage caught my attention. There's another one too, another powerful one that says, only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us. That's really, really powerful. It kind of stopped me when mm -hmm. I read this. I would love to hear from you. Yeah, how do you interpret this? 
Yes. Um, well, the first one, making friends with ourself, uh, is very much a, a passage that has stood out to me just across all of her books. So I'm I'm very um, I'm very intrigued that 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 was one of the ones that stood out to you as well. And I remember when I first read it, it was. It, it was like a light bulb turned on and it was just such a simple but transformative message because it really got me to think like, you know, I'm, I can be quite mean to myself and, and I never really considered the idea of becoming friends with myself or having a relationship with myself. And, and then it made me realize that, you know, I've had I've always had a relationship to myself all along, but I've just been unconscious about it. And because I've been unconscious about it, I've been treating myself poorly. So to know that there's always been that relationship there and I can choose to make friends with myself and, and create that loving, friendly relationship was just such a, a game changer. And and I began to see myself in a in a different way and my uh and just my relationship with myself, um, began to gradually become kinder and kinder. Um, so, so certainly that is, um, such a simple, but very transformative message. Um, and then the, the second passage, uh, also very powerful in total agreement with you. And, uh, I think that it it alludes to what we were talking about earlier about how how suffering is just um, this experience of showing us where we're still holding on and what what are the models that are falling apart or the expectations or the beliefs. And when you go through these cycles of suffering enough times, then you begin to eventually get to a point where so many models or expectations have fallen apart that you are left with that indestructible part. Um, and, uh, but it takes going through those cycles of suffering and for those models and for those expectations to continuously break down, uh, for you to be left with what's underneath. And that is such a beautiful thing and it's such a beautiful way to, to view it. Um, and, and I think that it does really change the nature of how we view suffering when we see it as a, as a gradual breaking down um, and a letting go of those things that no longer serve us or that are no longer, you know, rooted in truth. And she also writes, this was all about letting go of everything. So the letting go of everything, and then I wonder what everything is, <laughs> perhaps even our ideas of pleasure, right, holding on to trying to be happy or get to that place, the destination of happiness, that might be another one. I mean, it seems to me like everything that has to do with the realm, the physical realm, it has to be deconstructed, which is really not an easy thing to do, to let go of our belief systems and kind of become comfortable with the un unknown, the uncomfortable, really very uncomfortable to the ego that it's okay to just let life be what it is, let life happen. Yes. And when we say are not even unconsciously willing to let go of some of those models or structures, uh, that is where suffering comes through to kind of like cleanse us. So 
it's like whether we like it or not, we are going to at some point um, experientially have to go through that that breaking down process. Um, so so it's like if you don't choose it willingly, then it'll it'll happen at some point through suffering. And that's an, another passage where she talks about a friend who was dying of AIDS. He said, I didn't want this and I hated this and I was terrified of this. But it, it turns out that this illness has been my greatest gift. He said, now every moment is so precious to me. All the people in my life are so precious to me. My whole life means so much to me. It's a sad thing when we think about it, because I have seen I have seen people around me who they get very old, but the mind is still holding on to the ideas of being dissatisfied and angry with the body getting old because they're holding on to the idea that it, it's not supposed to happen because I remember myself being very young and very energized and doing so much. Now I can't do anything, so, I, so I'm very angry about it. Yeah, and I, I think that you make a good point by by noting that just because we do go through suffering or we do encounter those periods where, say, we we see that we're still holding on, or maybe you know from an outside perspective we can see that a person is still holding on, um, but but it's no it's no guarantee that suffering can lead to such a cleansing experience. Um, it just depends on on how we we choose to perceive it and interpret it. Um, which is central to this idea of re redefining our relationship with suffering because just because, you know, somebody goes through a really rough period, uh, if someone holds the perspective that this can be transformational or this can really show me where I'm still holding on, then that is what leads to that, that growth. Um, that comes thereafter, but but likewise we could um, another person can go through that and and come out of it feeling very resentment or resentful or, or cynical, um, and perhaps maybe there are areas that are you know um, let go of a little bit, but the attitude that one has as we go through suffering is is the catalyst um, or is it the mediator of of what really makes it a, a transformational experience or are not as much of a transformational experience. And that's another question that I used to ask spiritual teachers and do my own research about what happens when we don't let go, when the mm. mind is still holding on to those ideas, this should not be happening to me, I should not be dying this way, I should not be dying, period, and all that. So it has been said that it keeps on that uh, attachment in form of, of in a mental form, it, it keeps actually going on as a form of energy and then attached to a new body and and then pass that on, perpetuates that, that suffering. That's my, what my understanding is these days. And I know that that's in Buddhism is very much spoke about uh, reincarnation, mind continuation. I'd love to hear from you on that. That's a very good question. I suppose that if we don't let go, it just remains. Um, perhaps it remains um, like, or maybe it transforms in a different way, that attachment, maybe it just takes on a different uh, disguise. But if it is, if it is still the same attachment and we're, we're still holding on, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, then I imagine that is is just going to remain and and continue perpetuating whatever whatever suffering comes from that particular attachment. 
So there's another area that she says healing comes from letting there be room for all this to happen. Mm. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. It's just like this to me, that sounds like freedom, doesn't it? When I think about it. Yes. Uh, I'm curious, though, what what got you to say freedom? Mm. This openness to just let life happen. I know we are caught up in the middle of it. Like a lot of people just wake up to this reality that we are here. And how did I come here? And that's what my inquiries were. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> what am I doing in this body? And and I remember when I was seven years old, I said that, oh, I'm back here in a, in a female body now. Mm-hmm. So as if I knew that I was here before in a different body. So that was an interesting insight without knowing any of this. Yeah. Right. And then now it's like freedom to me is to know that, okay, I'm here and I know I have to trust whatever got me here that can get me out of here in a sense, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but gracefully. That's what I call freedom. Just going through this whole movement, dance of life that will die in the sense of the body the body really, because the mind, it seems to me like it still lingers as we talked. If we don't let go of certain ideas that we're holding on on belief systems, it still stays here. So it's that dance between uh, what is real, what's permanent and what is not permanent, what is eternal and and what's uh, it's bound to end. So it's that almost like this dance, but at the same time, it's a love affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm in love with it all. You know, I know this will end from the perspective of the body, but then I'm, it's still here. Life is beautiful. This, whatever we call life, it's it's incredible. So I guess that's what freedom is to me, that understanding that it's okay to go through all this. Yes, that is absolutely beautiful. Um for sure. And, and I think that getting to that space of, of falling in love with your experience and, and all of your experience, uh, definitely can, can take time and it can take going through, um, cycles of suffering in order to get to that place of, of appreciation. Um, but, but I would agree with you. I think that creating space and, and being open to all of what you're, all of what you're experiencing is what, um, is what liberates you from, from the, I guess, attachment to, um, what you think your internal world should be like, or what it should look like. Because if you, if you say, I accept all of this, then, then no matter if you're feeling happy or if you're feeling sad or guilty, uh, there is space for that. And then we can honor and appreciate that. Um, and it's, it's, it's really when we like push away or reject parts of our experience that inadvertently and paradoxically those parts persist and, and actually grow stronger. So in a way we have to make space for and be open to all of our inner world um, in order for those maybe let's say less pleasurable emotions to to simply come and go. Right. So so I can see that certainly as a form of freedom. So let's see my ending questions. But before that, I have two questions, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything else you left unsaid, Ellie? Um 
I think that we we covered pretty much everything. Um, it was, yeah, I think pretty comprehensive. Um, I, I truly, truly appreciate this opportunity. It has been so much fun. It's been so cool. Um, and and likewise, I think that it's it's so important to have people like you here as well to have these conversations and to to bring these topics to light because um, they're just vital for our development. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ali. And my last question is, I'll ask you this one. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, if they choose to let go or not? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, goodness, these are great questions. Um, three experiences that people should have. Oh, man. I would say one is an experience of inner spaciousness <laughs> in the sense of um, by, say, and, and we can achieve this not just through meditation, but in, in those brief moments or brief glimpses where, say, we are just completely in the present moment, whether we're, you know, having a conversation with somebody or we're in, um, in nature or just even in, in whatever random state or through meditation to, to catch a glimpse of that inner spaciousness and that stillness that is our pure awareness, I, I think is, is, is definitely an experience that, um, everyone I hope can have, um, and a second, oh man, it's tough. Um, I would say some experience that can ignite a passion um, or like a, just an, a very deep interest or a curiosity, whatever that is. Um, whether it is spirituality or whether it is like trains or, um, or, or some discipline or nature or whatever it is, but something that just really pulls you, um, with this passion to learn and understand more. Um, that, that's a very beautiful experience. Um, and I would say, I guess just to kind of keep it on topic, the last would be, um, you know, some form of, of difficult experience in whatever magnitude. I think that um, it is almost a necessary part of of our experience to to grow and to um, to deepen our understanding of self through these difficult experiences, whatever the magnitude. Um, you know, so I. I guess those things would be three things that I would, I guess, hope or encourage people. I, I don't even really know, but um, those are the first things that come to mind. And that's um, interesting that you said suffering difficult experiences, because I, I remember asking this question to somebody recently, and she said that suffering. <laughs> she was really straight to the point. <laughs> I wish for everyone to suffer. And that was um, interesting to hear that way, like very straightforward. But I know the intention behind it. So that was, uh, and she explained, of course, so did you. So it's really beautiful to hear that from other human beings having this 
understanding that life is compassionate. It is trying to show us the way to peace, the way to love. It's very much doing that all the time, not just yeah. through suffering, but just right now is doing that too through this beautiful conversation. I think, yes. And, and I think I might even like reframe it a little bit to say, uh, based off of what we were even talking about with, with regard to there being a difference between pain and suffering, um, I guess what I would hope or wish is for people to have the experience of going through some form of pain and then being able to see that they that it doesn't have to become suffering, uh, because that is that is really the 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 transformational element that that move something from from suffering just back to pain so I'll revise my answer and say that one <laughs> yes yeah that's very beautiful though of course yeah that is part of life well I don't see people having life I think we are all life itself so mm-hmm. that's your way of being compassionate through the pain we are able to wake up and so we don't need to go through suffering Exactly. Although for most of us and for myself has been the path of suffering, unfortunately, I, I have to say. But it's okay. <clears throat> it's okay. I'm I'm right there with you. I am a part of it too. So it is um it is it is very much an ongoing work in progress. It's just an ongoing commitment, but um but that's but that's just what it is. Right. If we commit to these um, deeper understandings, then it's easier to stop pain from becoming suffering. Exactly. But sometimes it just goes there almost automatically, like really quick. And that's why I say, OK, because it, it goes back to the feeling of freedom, which you mm-hmm. call it beautifully spaciousness. So having enough room to just kind of let everything be, the pain, the suffering, just kind of uh, dance with it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful thing to be there. And it's not easy. It takes a lot of effort. What is another word for life? What comes to mind? Ooh, um, another word for life. The first word that comes to mind is being, which I think kind of brings it kind of full circle to answering the question of who am I with? I'm a person. Um, Like, I would say that, you know, all life um, is just being. Being this, right, which we call being a person. (laughs) I'm a person. This is being what is happening now. Ah, That's beautiful, too. Very profound. Thank you so much, Ali, for all the insights, this, your commitment to healing yourself and others, your commitment to wisdom, to deep wisdom, uh, and all, everything else in between. It's just incredibly, not just beautiful, which I say to nature when I see a tree or a flower, that's what real beauty is. But I see beauty in this sincere desire to just know more of what what you call being. I have deep appreciation for it. So thank you again for being you. Thank you so much as well. This has been such a cool and beautiful experience. Um, I, I know I told you I was like, pretty nervous to, yeah. to do this but um but it ended up being so much fun so so I thank you so much for for that opportunity and and really the space that you've created is is truly very beautiful to, to have these conversations 
Um, so, so you're out here doing the same kind of work, just in a different way. And I thank you for that too. Mm, yeah. Thank you for saying yes <laughs> yeah. for this to happen. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, future projects? Yes. Um, I have a website, uh, wildheartscounseling.org. You can learn a little bit more uh, just about my approach to counseling um, and uh, where I practice. It is uh, it is a one page website, so do not, um, you know, get too overwhelmed. It's it's very basic. Um, but you could just find out some more information on there. You, there's my, uh, contact information on there too. So if anybody has any questions or they want to reach out, you're more than welcome to reach out to me through my website. Um, and I can gladly provide more information or answer any questions, um, through direct contact. Wonderful. And I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you again, Ali. And we'll talk soon. Bye Thank for you, now. Valeria. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Allie Vaknin and her work, please visit wildheartscounseling.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.